Well, hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. You know, without a doubt, the travel industry has been hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. So a little bit later in the podcast, we're going to get some thoughts on it all from travel journalist, author, and CBS News travel editor, Peter Greenberg. And when all the dust does settle from the COVID-19 outbreak, and we get back to somewhat normal, you just might need a relaxing getaway. So I'll head to Toronto and visit the prestigious and historic Windsor Arms Hotel. But to start things out, are you one of those people who think the air inside an airplane makes you sick? It's a timely question with the COVID-19 pandemic affecting the world of travel these days. So we're going to tap into the knowledge of Patrick Smith. He is the author of the book Cockpit Confidential, and he also has a website called Ask the Pilot. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask the pilot about the air quality on an airplane, and does it really make you sick? Hi, Patrick. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, let's uh, let's get right to your blog. It's titled The Truth About Cabin Air. This actually uh, came from a listener who was researching uh, many websites and articles, ended up more confused than ever. Uh, so we're going straight to the source here. So uh, let's uh, let's start uh, here and just talk about the basics of how air is distributed in an aircraft without getting too technical. The air in the cabin comes from the uh, compressor section of the engines, and it's uh, forced into the cabin and squeezed together. That is pressurization, which is what allows you to breathe mm-hmm. um, at high altitudes. Now, what happens to the air once it's in the cabin? I think a lot of people have this idea that it gets loaded up with germs and pathogens and, and, and just kind of sits there killing everybody, and that's, <laughs> that's not at all what happens. Um, and gets recycled to kill you even more. <laughs> all of the air is, uh, well, a portion of the air is recycled after it's run through some pretty powerful filters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of it is jettisoned overboard and mixed with new air, That's brought in. Meanwhile, there is a total changeover of air every so often. And that so often, the the length of that so often depends which airplane we're talking about, which which model. Um, Every few minutes is uh, maybe a fair way to put it, at least with newer planes. Uh, The the 787, the uh, Airbus A350, these newer models, there's a complete changeover of air every... I want to say three or four minutes, something like that. It's it's uh, pretty fast. So you're not breathing stagnant air. And generally, um, airplane air tends to be much, much, much cleaner than people think it is. Um, people do sometimes get sick on planes, but almost always it's from something you touch, not from something you breathe. Mm-hmm. Uh, lavatory handles, dirty tray tables, armrests, and so on. Um, the air is, I know it sounds hard to believe, but a lot cleaner than, than people think. Cleaner or as clean as the air in really most other public spaces. And most other public spaces full of people don't have that uh, filtration and that changeover of air. Um, that's stagnant air, not what you'd find in an airplane. Well, and it's also the crew have to breathe this air, so why would you make your crew sick? <laughs> right? <laughs> right, right. And there's such a focus on this topic right now with the uh, COVID virus and all of that. It's just, you know, it's starting to drive me a little crazy, just the people's paranoia about this. And Well, I think uh, one of the things, uh, for me in particular, uh, it's not so much getting sick or getting the virus or anything like that. It's getting stuck 
in a country or on a cruise ship or something sure. like that that gets quarantined, and now you're stuck for 14 days, well, whether you're sick or not, right? And I think that's taken, one of the taken, issues, right? That, that is one of the issues, and that's 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 a different issue. Um, you know, people who were in, uh, let's say, Italy and, and now can't find a way out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, it depends where you're going and when you're going. But by and large, I mean, flying in and of itself right now is, for lack of a better way to, de- to describe it, perfectly safe. Just getting back to the cabin air, just for, like, where does all this come from? I mean, it's almost like an urban myth now <laughs> that, uh, hey, you're, if you fly in the airplane and you're breathing the air, you're going right. to get sick. And it's just not true, right? Well, there is so much about commercial aviation that uh, just isn't true. Uh, I mean, there are so many urban myths and and urban legends, just just so much bad information out there that that people take at face value. And and, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I I do my blog and I wrote my book, because I was just, uh, you know, kind of getting frustrated with that. You know, as a pilot, just hearing mm-hmm. people with these you know preposterous uh, beliefs about you know what 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 we do, how we fly, how airplanes fly, and just you know how the industry works generally. You know, I, there's a part in the book where I say everything you think you know about flying is wrong, and you know that's <laughs> tongue in cheek, obviously, but there, yeah. there's a certain important element of truth in that, and I kind of go through one by one some of the different myths and misconceptions, and, and the cabin air is, is certainly one of them. Uh, there's all kinds of great information in the book. The book is called The uh, Cockpit Confidential. Uh, the website has just as much great information. Ask the pilot. If you have a question, ask Patrick Smith. He is the pilot. And uh, a great article, The Truth About Cabin Air. I hope we uh, dispelled some of those myths about uh, the cabin air. I guess the best thing, if, you, if you're really paranoid about getting sick on a plane, wipe everything down with a wipe before you sit down because your chances of getting sick from that are more than breathing the air, right? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think while all this has been going on, it's it's uh, kind of hilarious the way basically every health professional in the world has come out and said, do not buy surgical masks. They don't work. They're not going to help you. And so a billion people have run out and bought surgical masks. Um, you know, that's the kind of herd mentality that we're dealing with right now that is just making a difficult situation much more difficult mm-hmm. and frankly dangerous. And toilet paper, too. Uh, but, I, but I digress. Patrick Smith, again, his website is askthepilot.com. It's a pleasure chatting with you, Patrick. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. Well, when all the dust does settle from the COVID-19 outbreak and we get to somewhat back to normal circumstances, you just might need a relaxing getaway. And one place that offers just that is the prestigious and historic Windsor Arms Hotel in Toronto. To tell us more about the Windsor Arms is George Friedman. He is the general manager of the Windsor Arms Hotel. I'm looking at your website uh, right now, windsorarmshotel.com. Looks very nice uh, and has quite a story behind it. I'm just reading, built in 1927 and then completely rebuilt in 1999. So how much of the history is still in place today? Well, from a, from a cultural perspective, it was a fairly seamless transition. Um, in terms of the actual building, there are a few elements that remained um, from the original building, and uh, like the front entrance portico, the tea room, 
And then the rest of the uh, hotel portion was uh, replicated to make it look like the old, uh, but uh, given the uh, features and conveniences and luxuries of the current uh, building standards. And then on top of that, was um, there was an added addition of uh, 24 luxury large condominium units. Mm-hmm. So this was the first um, condominium hotel residences combination purpose-built building in the to the best of my knowledge, in the world. And it was only 20 years ago, but now now it's sort of, it happens everywhere where everyone is building these uh, combination hotel condos. But when we did it uh, back 20 years ago, it was a bit of a, it was an absolute novelty, in fact, and no one has done it before. So it was it's nice to see that uh, an idea that we had had uh, has become so popular now. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you could say you're ahead of your time then. Well, in, in some ways, uh, I wish I was 20 years younger, so I wouldn't be ahead of my time. But uh, that aside, yeah, you might say that we thought of something that uh, others had not at that time. Mm-hmm. So now let's uh, do some basics now. Uh, where is it located? Number of rooms? That type of thing? So it's located at, um, the address is 18 St. Thomas Street. It's about 100 feet off of uh, our version of Make Mile, the uh, Bloor Street area of Toronto, Yorkville Bloor Street area. It's surrounded by the fancy shops, uh, designer shops, galleries, uh, museums, restaurants. So it's in the heart of the city, midtown, I guess. Um, in terms of the size of the hotel, the original hotel had 90 rooms. We chose to put 28 in the same space, so they're very large. Mm-hmm. Uh, our average is about 700 square feet, uh, which is about double size of some of these condos being built around us. Um, and But it has all the features and the amenities of the mega-sized hotels. So we have a couple of restaurants. We have some great convention and meeting space. We have a spa. We have an indoor pool. So it's got all the um, – and the bar, of course. So it's got all the um, things that a traveler might expect in a luxury larger hotel. Mm-hmm. And we were able to put them in, put those features in, in into even a much smaller, much more intimate uh, facility like ours. Mm-hmm. Well, when you talk about the uh, size of the rooms, yeah, it's uh, you know when a lot of people say you don't spend much time in your room anyway. This is kind of the opposite. You kind of want to soak in all that, wouldn't you? A little bit. Well, in some ways, you're right. Uh, some people say, or certainly the people who build smaller rooms, smaller size rooms, will say, "Well, you don't spend much time in the hotel." We actually um, don't believe in that. Um, Primarily because our average guest maybe stays a little bit longer than the average hotel guest would. Mm-hmm. And really, we, we like the, um, the connotation of uh, being a home away from home. So when you travel, we believe that you should have some of the same luxuries um, that you would have at home. And therefore, being stuck in a shoebox is not something that we promote. Um, and thus, our, our rooms are much larger. Mm-hmm people's homes would be much larger than the average hotel room that's being built today. Well, I'm just looking at some of the photos on your website. Again, it's windsorarmshotel.com. I can tell you my home doesn't look like that. So <laughs> it's more well, than, it's mean, more the, than the, just the, being you know, a home away from home. <laughs> well, I, in some ways, that's a compliment, I guess. Uh, we do, when people do stay in hotels, it is a bit of a treat, and it's always nice to offer them something that they don't have at home. Mm-hmm. And certainly the uh, decor, um, you know, everybody has their own individual decor tastes uh, for home. But it's the, it's the overall size where you, you know, if the weather is lousy and you don't feel like going outside, 
or if you want to have a couple of friends over because uh, you're visiting Toronto and they happen to live here or vice versa, it's kind of nice to have, uh, you know, a living room with a sofa with a couple of chairs you can mm-hmm. pull up and, you know, a half dozen people can comfortably sit there without anybody staring at a bed or having to sit on sit on a bed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a different way of living and um, it's something that uh, isn't, um, isn't for everyone. And we don't pretend to be here for everyone, but those that um, that want that additional bit of layer of home home like feel and luxury feel, we we feel that we can we combine and provide that better than uh, better than most. Mm-hmm. So, who is your typical guest then? It varies, and there's really no typical guest. Um, we we go from. You know, a bunch of ladies having a, you know, a bridal shower to uh, to visiting celebrities, heads of state, uh, corporate um, people with their families and kids. So it's really there isn't a real market focus that we only focus on one segment of the market. Uh, on any given day, we have uh, people here of all ages, uh, demographics, always in all means, different means. Um, so it's not it's not really fair to characterize. We do have probably the only unusual thing here is that we do have a few guests that stay with us uh, in ex- in excess of 100 150 nights a year. Wow. So they're yeah, so it's uh, we have a few guests like that which makes it a little bit of an unusual thing because they certainly could um, financially be better off um, even just renting their own apartments, mm-hmm. but then they wouldn't have the service level that they have here. So they're busy, obviously, and they want things done for themselves. And um, so this provides uh, that, you know, that home away from home that I mentioned earlier. Um, and, um, and, and, and the beautiful thing about it is that um, if they want to use the services one day, they can, if they don't the next day, that's totally fine. Um, and they just have that flexibility. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in a world of busy environments, people sometimes uh, love the fact that they um, have that flexibility and make the decision on a minute-by-minute basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I'm looking at your website. It's windsorarmshotel.com. Uh, tell me about the salt cave and the salt water pool. So, um, you know, today uh, health and wellness is, well, it's always been important, but over the last um, several years, certainly it's become more of a focus and people are more concerned about uh their well-being. Um, so we, um, a few years ago, we converted our uh, indoor pool to a salt indoor pool, so got rid of the uh, chlorine. Mm-hmm. It makes a huge difference uh, in terms of how your skin feels mm-hmm. when you come out. And then uh, about a year or two ago, we added a salt cave, which is basically a salt inhalation room. It's uh, The room itself is um, basically covered in... Uh, in salt in terms of walls and floor. And uh, you sit in there for 45 minutes in a very relaxing uh, environment with water running through it. And uh, fine particles of salt are blown around the room, which um, are not visible to the eye, but they allow you to breathe those in. And it does clear your, uh, it does help clear your, um, your breathing um, uh, your breathing ability. So mm-hmm. if you're a heavy smoker or if you're an asthma sufferer, those kinds of things I'm told um, do get a little bit of relief. It's not a cure, but it, you know, they do get a bit of a relief from that. 
um, especially when the weather changes and people, uh, myself included, often, um, you know, you get sniffles and you get your sore throat and it's hard to breathe one or two days here and there. It does um, create a um, an interesting uh, sort of relaxing uh, environment where you are forced to unplug. It's a dark room. It's cool. And it's just, uh, it's very calming. Very nice. Well, it sounds like a, a fabulous place to stay. It's the Windsor Arms Hotel. You can find more information on their website, windsorarmshotel.com. And George Friedman is the general manager of the Windsor Arms Hotel. It was very, uh, very nice to chat with you, George. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And um, anybody has any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to me personally or through the website. And we'll be thrilled to answer any, any questions at all. Well, without a doubt, the travel industry has been hit hard by the COVID-19 pandemic with travel bans in place and cruise lines shutting down and the circumstances changing almost hourly. So we're going to get some thoughts on it all from someone who's covered the travel industry for quite a while now. He's known as the travel detective, travel journalist, author, and CBS News travel editor Peter Greenberg joins us now. So pleased to have you join us, Peter. Thanks for doing this. And happy to be with you. Uh, so uh, you've been covering the travel industry for a long time, and there's been other events that have affected the industry over over the years. Uh, you know, 9-11, SARS, for a few examples. Have you ever seen anything like this, though, with the COVID-19 crisis? Uh, I've never seen anything with a reaction like this. And, uh, you know, when we went back to 9-11, when you remember those days immediately following the, you know, the Twin Towers and everything else, Americans didn't start traveling right away. The planes were grounded for five days. But more importantly than that, Americans made a conscious decision that even when the planes did start flying, that nobody really wanted to fly over large bodies of water because they were worried about, uh, about terrorism. Today, the reaction is, is uh, more intense and a little bit different in terms of its base. Americans don't want to fly anywhere because they're worried they're going to be caught somewhere and be quarantined and not get home and get stuck. Uh, and that's really uh, everybody. So, you know, it's it's one thing to look at 9-11 and then try to respond to that and see how the industry responds to it in terms of, you know, maybe trying to discount their way out of it or offering great deals. It's going to take more than that when this uh, coronavirus subsides to get people to go back overseas. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're right, too. It's not so much uh, worrisome about getting sick, speaking personally myself, but uh, it's being quarantined for that 14 days, right? So, you know, who wants to do that? Well, when people travel, whether it's during the coronavirus problem or any other time, they always want to keep their options open. And when they think that they're running a relatively high risk of losing those options, they're not going to travel. Mm-hmm. And it used to be the question, yeah, you, should you travel? That's pretty much been answered now with law. Well, uh, well, I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one on TV or the radio, but I do listen to doctors. And, and I so I'm not going to tell your audience whether or not they should travel. I will tell you whether or not I would travel. And the answer is yes, a qualified yes. Um, I, I travel about 420,000 miles a year as it is. So keeping me at home is not easy. But the bottom line is, coronavirus notwithstanding, you should always practice basic personal hygiene protocols. You know, remember what your mom told you when you were seven years old? <laughs> yeah, you, wash you your should, hands. Uh, well, well, wash your hands before and after eating. Wash your hands before and after going to the bathroom. Don't touch your face. Don't pick your nose. And since you're going to be going to places, 
where other people have been before you, you know, take some antiseptic wipes, wipe off the surface areas where your skin might touch, tray tables and planes, armrests, seat backs, not to mention the air nozzle above you. And then when you get to the hotel, you know, the, the, the one item in there that's got the most bacteria than any other item is your TV control remote unit. So basically, wipe that off, wipe off the telephone handset, then go into the bathroom and take those two water glasses and put them under hot water for about two minutes. And you know what? Okay with me. I'm there. Well, and a lot of it, though, is out of our control. You've got uh, countries closing borders. You've got travel bans, government people saying, hey, you know, if you come back, you're quarantined for 14 days. So that's that's what I meant by, you know, it's sort of being decided for you. But eventually, the, you know, this is going to subside and we'll get back to a, a new normal or somewhat normal. So what, what uh, do you expect the follow-up to be after that? Well, the way I'm looking at it now, and I, I have nothing to go on except my intuition now and past experience, we're going to go through six weeks of not a lot of fun. Uh, we're not going to be going very many places for the reasons that you also outlined. Uh, but at a certain point, the economics will take precedence over panic without portfolio. And at that point, uh, borders will be reopened uh, cautiously at first, and then, you know, and then more, more commonsensically after that. And It'll take about another two months for people to kind of get back in the groove. So the way I look at the calendar, sometime between June 1st and June 30th, we will start to approach reasonably normal uh, levels of travel. And then there's the uh, old saying, the best time to go someplace is after a disaster. So I'm, I'm sure we're going to be inundated when things get back to our new normal or somewhat normal circumstances. There'll be some pretty good deals out there as destinations uh, look to market uh, people to come back, right? Well, there are deals there right now. You know, California to Hawaii for $99, uh, uh, Boston to London for 250 You can't even fly the Boston to New York shuttle for 250 But that doesn't mean that everybody's lining up to take the deals now for the reasons we've discussed. Mm-hmm. So when the industry comes back, especially the cruise industry, uh, there will be ridiculous discounts. Basically saying, please come back and sample the experience at our cost, more or less because people need to get their confidence back. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's it. Uh, the word confidence, uh, whether flying or cruise ships or even hotels now are taking uh, steps with uh, different cancellation policies and refund policies. And when it comes to that, are some companies uh, doing a better job than others? They are. Uh, it, it all depends on the health of the individual companies. In situations like this, the weakest companies financially will do everything they can to preserve their cash and you know, put in sort of, sort of they'll have like conditional waivers that may be meaningless in terms of you know, whether or not you can really rebook your fare and basically keep your ticket without having to pay more money or get a refund entirely. But more and more companies are realizing that's really bad public positioning right now. It's bad imaging. It's bad messaging. And more and more are now basically saying, okay, we give up. You can rebook without a penalty or you can get a refund without a penalty. But again, case by case, airline by airline, travel provider by travel provider basis. And I think people will have uh, longer memories. They'll remember how they were treated uh, during this circumstance when it comes to rebooking, you think? Well, you know, it's interesting. I go back to the original Southwest Airlines model, which, which predates coronavirus by years. If I have a reservation on Southwest and I can't make the flight, as long as I call them like 10 minutes before the plane departs, they give me a full credit. They put it in my own account at Southwest, and I have a year to use that credit on any other Southwest flight I want to take. That's fair. That's reasonable. That's not draconian. And in a sense, that's what a lot of airlines are suddenly offering now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where are you traveling next, or where are you now? <laughs> well, right now I'm in New York. 
I was supposed to travel tonight to Vienna, but that's essentially uh, off limits. I was also supposed to go to Portugal. That's also off limits. Uh, I was also supposed to go to Norway. Uh, that We have the trifecta here, also off limits. Norway is essentially doing a 14-day shutdown and quarantining essentially the whole country. Mm-hmm. So my next stop will probably be Los Angeles and then followed by, uh, by Australia. Uh, by the way, uh, getting back to the cruise ships, do you know where they, where they dock those ships? They're, I'm thinking about Princess now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, there are two cruise lines that have already announced in terms of the, uh, the ocean cruise lines, meaning Viking and Princess, yeah. that they're suspending operations until, I think, late April or early May. Uh, and in those situations, yes, they're going to dock the ships, um, and they'll take their crew and send them home, uh, except for a small you know, skeleton operating crew while the ships are there. Uh, some river cruise ships have already suspended service in Europe, and there will be more to come. Uh, not because of the disease itself, uh, because when you put the, the numbers in perspective, there are 365 cruise ships sailing around the world right now. The total number of ships that are affected negatively by the virus, three. That's less than 1%. But the optics are so intense and they're so negative that the cruise ships couldn't get over that. And as a result, you can't operate a 6,000-passenger ship when there are only 300 paying passengers on board. It's just not financially sustainable. So mm-hmm. uh, more, more and more cruise lines will, will either change itineraries, consolidate itineraries, or essentially just park the ships. And so where do, uh, that was my question. Where do they, where do they put them? Because <laughs> they have to pay docking fees and, and things like that just, just to let them sit there, right? Remember, we have a lot of ports in the United States, all the way down the eastern seaboard, ranging from you know uh, Baltimore and Mobile, Alabama, and, of course, Miami and Fort Lauderdale, we, we know about them. We know about uh, Galveston, and we know about, you know, all, then, of course, Los Angeles, San Francisco, I mean, Seattle. Uh, there's room. <laughs> there's always room, right? Uh, well, it, it was. these are definitely uh, strange times. We do appreciate your time. I'm sure you're very busy chatting with uh, media and doing interviews. Uh, Peter Greenberg, he's a travel journalist, author, host of Eye on Travel. He's the uh, travel editor for CBS News, and you can find lots of information on his website, petergreenberg.com. Uh, pleasure chatting with you, Peter. Thank you. And we'll all get through this. Over the next two months, we'll be back. Don't worry. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. I want to thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, take a minute, rate the show, leave us a review, and tell a friend about the podcast. And if you want to drop me a line, my email address is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler, or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.